I would say let's get our Bibles out, but we've already been in Scripture uh, several times this morning. But now, like Zachary said, now we're in the portion we're walking through in Second Peter. Uh, as we take a look at, at this, I, I love... I love expository preaching, one, because I think that's what the Bible tells you should do. You should take a Bible passage. Your job as a pastor is to help people understand the Word of God, not to teach you new things, not to pull something like a rabbit out of a hat from a passage, and you'd be like, I would have never seen that. Uh, the pastor's job is really to make it seem like he's worthless. Like uh, when he's done, everyone goes, well, yeah, that's what it says. It's obvious. Look, right there. Uh, and, and so it's enjoyable as we're walking through this for multiple reasons to be able to do that. Uh, but one of them is I told Gary, I said, uh, there are three places that this sermon might end, uh, depending on how we go uh, time-wise. I said, it's good because, you know, if you're doing something topical, you're like, I got to get through this all day. It's got to be done today. You know, I, I got to get to the fourth point uh, to wrap up and then I've got to get to my poem. Um, but as we as we walk through this, it is just there's so much rich stuff in Second Peter. And I hope that's been been one thing that that has encouraged you is how rich a book like like Second Peter is a book that most people, if you ask, you know, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Most people are not saying my favorite book of the Bible, is Second Peter. Uh, right now, you might be saying Second Peter is really the only book of the Bible that I can think of uh, right now because we've been there. Uh, but it is so rich and so good uh, with God's word. And so that, that's really building up to what we're going to be seeing maybe today um, in verses 19 through 21 and, and really down into chapter 2. Uh, so, so we started looking last week, we continued looking uh, at this section that really starts in verse 16. Remember, Peter had said at the end uh, of that beginning of chapter 1, he had said that his desire is that, so even when he dies, and he says, I, the Lord has shown me I'm going to die soon, uh, that they'll be able to recall what he has taught them at all times, and no matter what they're going through, they would be able to remember God's word, the teaching that Peter had given them, the things that he had heard from Christ's mouth and that the Spirit had spurred him to write to the churches, that they would never forget those things. And we saw why he wanted them to never forget, because these things that he's taught them, they're not man-made myths. The Bible is not just something that people made up and a bunch of guys got together in first century Israel and they all started telling stories and then they kind of collected those stories and passed them out. And the Bible says that's not how it happened. These are not man-made myths. These, and Peter said, look, these things that we're telling you about Jesus, we were eyewitnesses to those things. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We saw what happened. We were there on the mountain. Can you imagine having been there? And heard the voice speak from the mountain. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Moses and Elijah appearing there as second and, and tertiary witnesses. Can you imagine how that would shape your life? Let me tell you about this Jesus and what I saw. And Peter says more than that. More than seeing Christ glorified there on the mountain. He says we've got the scripture that already told us that the Christ is going to be glorified. That, that this is the son. He will come back 
He will reign over his kingdom. The promised land is not just going to be this little stretch of land here in the Middle East. The promised land is going to cover the globe. Peter's going to pick that up in a little bit and talk about how all of creation is going to be renewed. That's why it was so good that we were reading the catechism question that we were reading on this time, I thought, well, there's some random sovereignty for you. Uh, and, and to lay out like all these things, this Christ is going to come back. He's going to reign and the Bible is backing up all that we saw. Peter says, you don't have to, this is like a reading rainbow moment for, uh, for Peter. He's saying, you don't have to just take my word for it. Uh, look at God's word. You don't have to just trust the eyewitnesses here. Trust the word of God. And remember, we said all good testimony. That's what it does. A good testimony points you not to the value of the testimony, not, oh, you're not going to believe what happened to me, but this is what happened to me. And you know what? That's exactly what the Bible said would happen uh, in our lives when Christ changes us. And so um, we saw the importance of God's word, that God's word is going to shine like this lamp in the world to guide us until that day comes. Uh, Until that day dawns, and that's really where we're going to be in verse 19 today. Let's go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse 16, we'll read through verse 21. Although really you could start in verse 16 and read down through chapter 2, but we won't do that. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We are, we are doing this again, not just because you stand when God's word is read, uh, but because we want to show physically what we hope our hearts are doing spiritually, uh, which is honoring uh, God. And we know that if we stand with our bodies, but don't obey in our hearts, that we are not honoring the word of God, as, as we'll see, uh, as we'll see today. So let's, let's walk through verses 16 through 21, uh, and then we'll start at the end of 19, and, and we'll see how far we can go. So I want you to recall these things. Why? For we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God, the father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are reading your words as this man, Peter, is speaking, but really it is you speaking. He is speaking from you, being carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these things for the good of your church, both in that day and today. And so, Father, we would do well to pay attention to that lamp. We talk about how dark this world is. So, Father, help us to look to the light. May we be like moths to the flame. May we not be griping about how dark our world is while ignoring the light that you have given us. May we pay attention to it. 
May that begin now and may it continue until that day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's, uh, we, we looked uh, really most of the way through verse 19. So if we, if we see it again, just to sort of remind ourselves, he says, and we have the prophetic word down there in verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So today we're really going to look at the question of waiting for that day. Okay, so what do you do is you're waiting for that day, waiting for the return of the Lord. He says, you do this, you pay attention to this lamp until the day dawns. So we're waiting for this day. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is he talking about here? We mentioned it last week. He's talking about the return of Christ. That when the day of the Lord comes, the dawning of that day of the Lord, the day of the Lord that is only not scary to us because of Christ. Uh, Because you go back and you read all those passages that I mentioned, and I hope you wrote them down, and I hope you're able to go back and look at those and say, I'm not sure I want this day to come. Uh, And you recognize that, yes, you do want this day to come, if you are Christ's. Because it is a day when he redeems the righteous, and you are righteous because of Christ. Uh, and so it is a good day for us, but he says also the dawning of this day is going to happen, but there will also be the morning of a new day as well, not just in the world, but where in our hearts until the day dawns and the morning star rises where in your hearts. This morning star is going to rise in our hearts on that day. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean the morning star is going to rise in our hearts? And what does that have to do with what Peter's talking about? Well, Peter's saying, look, you got to pay attention to the lamp until there's a day that you don't need a lamp anymore. Until you're not living in the, you need a lamp when it's dark. No one walks around with a flashlight at 11 o'clock in the day, unless it's one of my children, you know, unless it's Jack who finds it and likes to shine it in people's eyes. But no one needs a flashlight during it. No one's like, hey, it's really bright. Let's light a candle. Uh, well, although, unless it's a scented candle, right? And then women are like, let's, let's gag each other out in this room with these scented candles. But you don't need a light during the day. He says, one day, the day is going to dawn. The light will be dawn, gone, but not just in this world. The dark will be driven from your hearts as well. The morning star is going to rise in your heart. And on that day, you're no longer going to need the written word of God. You will not need the written word of God. And the word written is very important there. The Bible serves as a lamp, but one day you won't need that lamp anymore. Because when Christ returns, it's not just going to affect what's out there in this world. When Christ returns, it's going to affect your heart. It's going to change your heart to such a degree that you don't need the Bible to be that lamp to you anymore because you will see, uh, well, let's see what you'll see. Let's see what the Bible talks about in the return of Christ and how that impacts something like prophecy. Uh, Well, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we mentioned this a little bit. It was about five years ago, so I'm sure you remember. 
uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 on the, when he was talking about tongues and prophecy and how they're getting God's gifts all wrong and how they're meant for the church and the good of the church. And that's the whole point of these gifts is to help the church until Christ returns. And, and they've made it about themselves instead of the church and all the stuff that our modern church just needs to listen to and that most of us probably need to listen to as well. Church isn't about you, but we're not going back to 1 Corinthians, right? But 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the end of prophecy when Christ returns. The end of the need for God to, to, to speak. He says, beginning in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, and sword we've seen several times, the mature, the perfect, the grown, comes the partial will pass away. When I was a child, men who who came on Tuesday mornings, this is that word, remember, that we looked at this week, uh, be an infant in evil. This is that same word, just in the previous chapter, in chapter 13. When I was a child, or I was an infant, or whatever, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, now we see in a mirror dimly, Right? And the Bible does work as that sort of mirror. But Paul says here, James is going to say that Bible is a, not only is it a lamp to show you the dark world, it's a mirror that shows you the dark that's still in you. You see, now we see through that mirror dimly, we go back to 1 Peter, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be tracing the life of Christ. So here you are, you ever tried to trace anything in a mirror? You ever tried to look in a mirror? And do anything with your hand. I have, the, I had the worst, curliest, weirdest hair growing up. And I remember trying to train my hand to do, if, if anyone grow, uh, raising boys and they're trying to comb their hair and they look in the mirror and their hand does not want to do what it's supposed to do. He says, and, and when we're using scripture, we see scripture and we see who Christ is and we're trying to trace that, but it's like we're trying to trace in a mirror. In a dim mirror, and sometimes we don't see just exactly what we're supposed to be doing uh, in our Christ-likeness. We, we see our imperfections, and we're trying to understand who is Christ, and we grow more and more every time, and we read a passage, and we see new things about Jesus there that we didn't see. It's like it becomes more and more clear. He says, but now, so now we're seeing in that mirror dimly, but then what's going to happen? One day, how are we going to see? Face to face. Now I know, but what? In part. Then I shall know what? Fully. Even as I have been fully known. So one day there's going to come a day where when I'm trying to understand who Christ is, live the Christ-like life, right now I'm doing it. It's in a mirror, dimly. I feel like a fool. I feel like a failure. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to grasp it. My mind is struggling and fighting, and I see the glory of Christ, and I'm, I'm deceived by the world at various times as well, and I want to do better. I want to look more like him. And I get frustrated that the mirror is so dim. I read my Bible and I want it to be more clear. And I pray it would be more clear. And then God makes it more clear. And I go, let's dim it up just a little bit for just a second, right? It's too clear, Lord. It's too clear. He says, right now we see in a mirror dimly. But one day we will see face to face. And when that happens, we will know. We will fully know even as we have been fully known. So when Christ comes, 
Uh, We will not need to rely on the word of God anymore, the Bible, to help us understand how to live in a dark world because the morning star will have risen. The partial will have passed away. We will see him face to face. We will know all things fully. We won't need a lamp anymore because the darkness will be gone. In fact, Revelation talks about this new day that is coming and how Christ relates as the morning star of that day. Revelation chapter 21. We could have done a lot of walk through Revelation on this, but we're just doing Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22, it says, so this is the new heavens and the new earth with Jerusalem coming down from above. Remember, uh, in eternity, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes down here to earth. Uh, and we live in the new heavens and the new earth here on God's creation. Uh, that's a total aside, but just remember that. Uh, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God almighty and the lamb and the city has no need forget a lamp. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on. This is all, this is all revelation stuff is reminding us of the garden. And remember in describing the sun and the moon, it says the sun to give light by day, the moon to give light by night. And so since revelation is bringing us back to Eden and showing us that Eden has exploded, it's not just a garden, it's the globe. There's no sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it light and its lamp is what? The lamb is Christ. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. You don't have to shut the gates. You don't have to shut the gates to be afraid of. There's no darkness in the world anymore. So you don't shut the gates. You have to shut the gates of the city like you do at night. You don't have to, you know, like when people talk about, uh, I live in the country, I don't have to lock my doors. Right? Like, you can be like, one day you be like, I live in New Jerusalem, I don't have to lock the gate. Because there's no darkness there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no need, there's no need for sun and moon. Why? Because the glory of the Father and the Son lighted up. The morning star is shining. That's the lamp. The lamp is the Lamb, and there's no light, there's no night there. And we see the themes that Peter mentioned of glory and honor. See how those are brought back up here? How is the majesty of Christ, how is Christ going to be glorified and honored in the end? Look at what happens. Christ is in the end is not having to reveal his glory and honor. Everyone knows it. And what does it say happening? Is happening. The nations are bringing all of their glory and honor and giving it to him. So he says, look, Christ is going to be made majestic. The majesty of Christ is going to be obvious. He's going to return in glory. Don't listen to these false teachers as we're going to see starting in chapter 2. Don't listen to these false teachers who are twisting the word of God and making it say what the word of God has never said. Christ is going to be honored. He's going to come back and the world is going to know. Again, why the the idea of some sort of secret return of Christ is, is I, I think, not the picture that we see in Scripture. That Christ comes back and the world goes, oh, 
And in fact, they so know it that the world just streams to Jerusalem, to the new heavens and the new earth, to give all of their honor and glory to the Lamb who deserves all the honor and glory. Anything honorable or glorious, the nations and the people of the nations are bringing to Christ. That's how majestic he will one day be. Peter says that's what's going to happen. When the morning star is going to rise, it's going to rise in our hearts. We will know God fully and the glory of Christ will be so obvious that we don't need sun. We don't need moon because the world is going to shine with the glory of Christ. So much so that everybody on the earth recognizes it and are just bringing their goods and treasures and honor and glory and giving it to him. Peter says that's what's going to happen. We know that the majesty of Christ is going to be revealed. We know that Christ is going to be praised. That one day the darkness will be gone. The day is going to dawn and the morning star is going to rise and it's going to rise in your heart. But Peter says, but that day is not today. That day is not now. It's not yet. So what do you do in the meantime? Do you just sit and wait for that day? Do you just sit and go, well, I'm not perfect, but one day I will be. You know, and you, you go look at the Bible and say, man, pretty soon I'm not going to need you anyway. So, uh, you know, I'll just wait till that day. What do you do in the meantime? Peter tells them what to do right now. What do we need to do? We need to find our confirmation, not in the sky. Right? You're not just, as Christians, you're not just waiting for Christ to appear. And I just wait. I'm just waiting for that day. What do you do until Christ returns? He says, you find your confirmation of the glory of Christ that will one day be evident to all. You find your confirmation of that day, not by waiting till Christ appears. You find that confirmation of the word of God and the message of God and what God has done in your hearts. You find that confirmation where? In the word. You get in God's word. You, as he says, you pay attention to the word of God. That's what you do. That's what he says in, in verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So as you're waiting for, this is, this is why I love it when people talk about the return of Christ and they get all these charts and these diagrams and they're trying to figure out the day. And I say, you know what? You may not know the day, but I know what you're supposed to be doing until that day. And that's spending time in God's word. That's what you're, you don't just worry about the day and, and look and go, you know, it's China. No, it's Russia. No, it's the Soviet Union. Soviet Union's gone. All right, well, let's find someone. It's Iraq. No, Iraq's gone. All right, let's pick someone else. It's Iran. No, Iran just, Iran just shot themselves. Okay, we'll pick someone else. So what do you do? What should you do until the return of Christ? Focus on God's word. Spend time paying attention to the word of God. Well, what does it mean to pay attention to God's word? What does it mean? Thankfully, there are other places in scripture that talk about what it means to pay attention to the word of God. Because we could come up with all sorts of ways that you can pay attention to it, right? Maybe you're paying attention to it is making prophecy charts, right? Maybe you're paying attention to it is looking at the times and the seasons. And you hear about an earthquake somewhere and you go, oh, and you hear a rumor of war. There will be wars and rumors of wars, which is something totally new and has never happened in the history of mankind. 
So what do you do? Look at a few examples. First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse 13. First Timothy chapter four, verse 13. This is Paul talking to Timothy in, in this pastoral uh, epistle. And he says, until I come, devote yourself. That word devote is the same word as pay attention in, uh, in second Peter. Pay attention to, uh, get into, what? Uh, the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching. That, that pastors, who, pastors who serve as examples for all believers, pastors are supposed to pay attention to reading, to exhorting, and to teaching. Now, now the words public and, and scripture, we, we add to give maybe a context. Literally, it just says, pay attention to reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. But it's clear from Paul, what he's supposed to be reading, exhorting, and teaching, right? Scripture. That's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. So although it doesn't necessarily say scripture in this, it's clear from Paul's teaching to Timothy what he's supposed to be reading, what he's supposed to be exhorting, what he's supposed to be teaching. Because when he talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, you need to do all these things, how? Preach the word. So we should be reading and teaching or exhorting and teaching God's word. That's what it means. That's what the pastors are supposed to be paying attention to. How do you pay attention to God's word? Paul tells Timothy, I want you to read it. I want you to exhort others to it. I want you to teach it. And again, although Timothy differs from you and that you may not be a pastor, the importance of God's word and what it means to pay attention, to be devoted to God's word is not something that that is only true for pastors. Like the only way that pastor, this is only how pastors pay attention to God's word. This is how we all pay attention to the word of God. So we've got this example. He says, pay attention to the word. I want you to read it, exhort it, teach it. So let's take that example for ourselves. If, if, if Timothy is supposed to serve as an example for all believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity, and that includes him spending time reading, exhorting, and teaching the word of God, then if you're going to pay attention to God's word, guess what? That's what you need to do. Pay attention to God's word. What does that mean? That means at least you've got to be reading it. Now, of course, pastors have to be reading the word if they're going to be preaching the word, you would hope. Although I've heard a lot of sermons that I don't think you had to have read the word to come up with that. And it might be more important for pastors to be reading the word because of the importance of their position, because of the judgment that is on them, more important for the church and more important for their own lives. But it is still true that this is what paying attention to God's word has to mean for all believers. You can't pay attention to something you don't know. You can't pay attention to God's word if you're not reading God's word. This is like the basic level of paying attention to the word of God is you have to be taking in something in order to pay attention to it. Your wife never goes, are you paying attention to me when she's not talking to you? Right? Have you been paying attention to what I haven't been saying? Oh, sometimes I think that might be going on. Now I think about it. I think sometimes that does happen. But you can't pay attention. So, so what does Peter say? You would do well to pay attention to the lamp as it's shining in a dark place. You can't, you can't pay attention to the lamp if you're not picking up the lamp. If you're not lighting the lamp. If you're not opening God's word, you can't pay attention to it. If you're not hearing it, 
all of those blessings that we saw last week, remember the, all the blessings we saw that come from the word of God for believers, protection from sin, comfort in their lives. Remember, it'll watch over you while you sleep. You will be able to sleep the sleep of peace. The security that it gives us, all of those things, those come through the word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But you can't do those things if you're not hearing God's word, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not taking in the word of God, either through your ears or your eyes, you cannot be doing those things. The word cannot be doing those things. You would have this great blessing for your life and you would be ignoring it and wandering into the darkness, ignoring one of the greatest blessings that God has given you. Because what? You turned on the light for one hour, one day out of the week. Imagine going out into the dark saying, it's dark outside, but I turned on a light in my house on Sunday. So I'm sure I'll be fine. When, it, when you realize you're in the dark, you light that flashlight up before you even go outside. And how many of us, we recognize that the world we live in is dark. We know it's dark out there. And we know that we need the morning star to rise in our hearts. Because we know there is darkness still that Christ is defeating in our hearts. And we look at that and we want that darkness gone. And the Bible says, well, then pay attention to the lamp. Take up and read. And let the word do what the word does. And if you're struggling in your life and you look and you haven't been reading the word of God, then the answer is easy. It's simple. You haven't been taking in the thing that protects you from the thing you hate in your life. You haven't been taking in, you don't feel any comfort and you battle with anxiety and trust issues and all that. You haven't been taking in the thing that builds the trust in your life. The thing that gives you comfort. The thing that points your eyes to not just the word, but the word. I need to have Christ more central in my life. How does that happen? Not just by you sitting in your closet and thinking about Jesus. How does it happen? You get in the word. You get in the word that is about the word. That's where the comfort comes from. That's where the security comes from. You've got to be paying attention to the word. So Peter says, you're in the dark. What should you pay attention? What does that mean? Paul tells Timothy, you need to pay attention to reading it. But we don't just need to read it. Paying attention to God's word means pointing others to the word. Exhortation is not just something that pastors do. Of course, pastors do. That's part of our job is to read the word to you guys and then exhort you to obey it. Call you alongside us. Remember, that's what the word exhort means. It is literally the combination of the words call and alongside. Pastors are not just up here proclaiming something that they are not doing. We are not up here because we're better than you or we've hit level four and you're not at level four yet. But if you want to get to level four is how you get there. We are just here saying, look, this is what the word of God says. Join me as I do this. Saying, look, this is a good life. We have to do this. We have to. 
join me as we do these things. So when I talk about reading the word, I'm not just going, you guys need to read. And I'm just sitting at home sort of like thinking, what could I preach about next week? You know, I had a conversation with someone and it sounded really good. Maybe I'll use that. It's in the reading of the word that we know how to pastor, how to exhort. So you take what you've read, but you can't exhort if you haven't read, right? I can't tell you, join me in doing this if I don't know what the this is that we're supposed to be doing. But we need to be exhorting one another. In Timothy's case, that came through preaching, I think primarily. Uh, well, we could argue about that. But we are all called to exhort. Remember the, the verse that was my verse for the year last year? Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Exhort one another every day. This isn't just written to pastors. This is written to every church member. Exhort one another every day. And here we see the the writer of Hebrews picking up on the same thing Peter picked up on. As long as it is called today, right? As long as it's still today and the day hasn't dawned and the new morning star hasn't risen, what should you be doing exhorting one another? Here's another thing. So what should you do as you see the, the day approaching? One thing you should be doing is paying attention to God's word, and that means exhorting others every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, by that darkness, right? So your job isn't just to pick up the lamp and say, whew, I'm glad I've got a lamp, right? And hide it under your own little personal bushel, And be glad that you're growing and looking at all those other people who aren't growing and being like, ugh. Uh, And then be like, man, I'm really reading my word and I'm really growing and things are great. Man, I'm glad I'm not like those other people. Let's kind of shut them off a little bit. That your job is to exhort one another every day. Well, until when? Until Christ returns. Exhort one another, even, even when the person doesn't want the exhortation. Even when the person doesn't want to be exhorted. Imagine if pastors just exhorted till people didn't want to be exhorted. I got up here and I was like, guys, you need to do this. I don't want to do it. And you're like, fine, I'm out. You know, I mean, that's part of the shepherding is the rod and the staff. And sometimes, sometimes when you exhort a friend, things will be great. And sometimes, look, sometimes when you exhort yourself, things aren't great, right? How long did you have to exhort yourself to obey something? And it's like, it's like you give yourself the pass, but someone else doesn't obey it. And you're like, "Woo! I don't know about that guy. Exhort yourself and exhort others every single day. You know what, fathers? You have someone to exhort in your homes. You're like, I don't have anybody to exhort. And your wife is sitting there next to you like, seriously? Have anybody? Mothers, you're like, I don't talk to anybody all day except my kids. And your kids are like, see, we, we. That was my Levi impersonation. <laughs> You've got people to, who are living in a world just as dark as yours. Your job of jobs is to exhort them, to point them to Christ. In fact, I would say that is the primary job that you need to be doing, that you need to be doing as a man, as a husband, as a mother, as a father, that's the one. I don't care if you work 40 hours a week. I don't care if you work 75 hours a week. You're not doing that job. You are failing. You are not paying attention to God's word because he says if you're paying attention to it, you read it and you exhort others to do so. 
Exhort them in the word. Call them alongside you. And so if you're someone who is just pontificating about these things, but not doing them, you are not exhorting. And if you're a father who's talking to your kids about how important the word of God is, but they don't see you obey, you are calling them alongside, but not alongside something you want them to follow. And you will unfortunately see them follow that a whole lot easier than they follow the other. And you will look back and you say, what happened? And they'll say, we just followed you. We just followed you. We just went alongside what you did. We heard what you said, and then we saw what you did. And so we followed. Exhort one another that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That none of us may stumble in the dark. And like we said last week, that none of us may let our eyes be adjusted to it either. So we read, we exhort, we teach. Again, that might seem like something that just a pastor does. And and primarily, it is something that pastors do. It's part of their job. But like I just said, if you're a parent, you're called to teach. To teach what? To teach your children. You are commanded to teach your children. If you're a husband, you are called, commanded to teach your wife. Ephesians chapter 5 says that your job is to wash your wife with the water of the word. That's your job. And some of you are just looking at your wife and seeing that she's got her washcloth and hoping that everything's okay. Because you're not washing her with the water of the word. You just, you just walk by and you sniff and see if she smells like she needs to take a bath or not. but you're not getting in there and washing. You're not making sure that you're leading her through the word. You're not teaching her. And wives, let your husband do this. Let him do this. Do not make it difficult for him to do something that is already difficult to do. Because you, Genesis chapter 3 says you're not going to want him to do this. You're going to want to do, even reading about you're going to want to do it yourself. And that, I don't like the way you do it. I like the way I do it. And he's not very good. He doesn't know. He's not as good as John MacArthur. Right? He's not as good as R.C. Sproul. And the whole time he's leading you in Bible study, that's what you're thinking. When's this going to be over? So I can turn on my podcast and really grow. And he feels that. He senses that. Or... Or worse, you rebel against your husband by having your own Bible study because you don't want to hear what he's got to say. And that happens too. And husbands, you will avoid teaching your wife by having your own Bible study as well. You'll say, I ain't got time to teach my wife. I've got to study the Bible for myself. And the Bible says, if you're studying me, I'm going to tell you who to talk to. You need to be talking to that woman in your house with you. You need to be talking to your kids. So husbands, lead your wives. Be teaching them. And the teaching them cannot be just bringing them here and letting me and Zach teach them. It cannot be. Any more than teaching your kids is not bringing them to church and letting their Sunday school teachers teach them. They need to be washed at home. You need it and they need it. So do the hard thing and pay attention to God's word by reading it exhorting and teaching it. And even if you aren't a parent and you aren't married, 
Look, if you're an older believer, you're teaching these younger believers how to live. I mean, Titus, you read Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says, look, you, you older people, you're teaching in your faithfulness to church, in your faithfulness to the Word of God, in your conversations and how you are at home. These younger families are watching and they're wanting to be like you. And the worst thing that could happen is them want to be like you and then find out they shouldn't be like you. So recognize that your life is teaching these people in your church what is important and what isn't important. You are always teaching the importance of God's word to the body. This is why Paul said what he did in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that if any one of our members struggle, we all struggle because we're all teaching one another. When you're not here, you are teaching other people that it's not important to be here. Look, if everyone were at the church on Sunday nights, everybody but one person, what would that one person feel like? I was the only one that wasn't there. Everyone else was there reading God's word and I wasn't. I was at home napping, which I took a nap right after I took a nap. So I ran out of time. But when other people aren't there, and there's just a few folks there, you go and you see, oh, look who else in here. Then when it comes down to you being there or not being there, you know what you don't feel? You need to be there. Why? No one else does. And what have we done? We have taught ourselves what is or isn't important in our church life by something as simple as just attendance. I mean, we are all, what I'm wanting to teach is that we are always teaching each other something. Even if we're not, even if we're not leading a Sunday school class, even if we're not leading a Bible study, you are teaching. And that's what Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 2. You are teaching. Make sure you're teaching the right things. But that teaching is only good if it comes from God's word. Well, now I I definitely know we're not getting all the way through this. Uh, And it is the doing of God's word. I'm hoping just get you the first point. It's the doing of God's word that is one of the keys to what we pay attention to. What does it mean to pay attention to God's word? It means you do God's word means you do it. If you want to pay attention to it, what do you do? You obey it. What does it mean to pay attention to God's word? You obey God's word. Deuteronomy 29, 29. We've mentioned this several times. It's such a good verse, such an important verse, uh, both in terms of Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch and all of the Bible. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But... The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. But it doesn't end there either, does it? That we may what? Do. That we may do all the words of this law. If God, you think about what happened in Deuteronomy. He's telling them, you teach these things to your kids. You teach them, you teach them, you teach them. You teach what's been revealed. Why? So that you might do. I have revealed these things so that you might do them. We have the word of God in front of us so that we might obey it. If you're paying attention to the word, you're not just going to read it. You're going to obey it. You'll see what God is calling you to, and you won't just hear what it's saying. You'll see what it's calling you to do, how it's calling you to live. If you listen to God's word, but don't obey God's word, you are not paying attention to God's word. 
You are ignoring God's word. You could read, you could read the whole Bible through three times in one year, and if you are not more obedient after every verse, there have been passages you've ignored along the way. You have to obey. There has to be a change, a desire, even if that change is just further faithfulness. If you listen to God's word but don't obey it, you're just ignoring it. Look, it's, it's not enough for us as a church to have expository preaching. We need to have expository living. That's what we need. You can take no comfort in saying, I go to a church that preaches the word of God if you're not a member of the church who lives the word of God. We don't just need expository preaching. We need to be a church filled with expository living. And that's what needs to happen in your life. Because if not, if not, then we are, I would say, worse despisers of God's word than those who don't even open it. It would be better for us not to open it and me to just get up and tell neat stories if we're going to hear God's word and not do it. Why is it so important to pay attention to God's word? Look at how God's word combats the in-reach of darkness. So this is the next part of the importance of paying attention. Hebrews chapter 2 is going to tell us how God's word stops the darkness uh, and how it works as a lamp. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Pay attention to God's word because it is God's word that will keep you from drifting away from what you know. It will keep you from drifting away. The Christian life, the Christian, you know, the Christian life is often not a journey of up and down, of mountain and valley. The Christian life is not one of peaks and then cliffs but of steady incline and sometimes steady decline. We often don't run from the word of God. We simply drift away. We quit doing one thing. And then the next thing you know, we quit doing another thing that we never thought we'd quit doing. And then another and then another until somehow we don't know how we got this far from shore. We didn't run and leap off a cliff. We were on a decline so slow that it didn't even bother us. It's like what we said last week. It's, It's not that we shut our eyes. It's often that our eyes have just gotten adjusted to the dark. And so what happens is we just quit a small thing and then the next thing we know, we've gotten off the path and we set the lamp down way over there and we didn't even realize it. And it's through subtle little denials of God's word, little drifting away. And what the word of God does is it keeps you from drifting away. It is like a tether that binds you. We love that song. Bind my wandering heart to thee. He says, then read my word. Quit praying for me to do it and take up the thing that does it. Quit saying, Lord, I'm so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Bind my wandering heart to thee. He says, you want me to bind? You want your heart bound to me? Then pay attention 
to what you know. Pay attention to my word because he says that will keep you from drifting away. And that's what happens. You start reading God's word and you realize that you've started to drift. You either realize that you've drifted way more than you ever intended to drift. Or you realize you're starting to drift and you better do something and stop it. But it's God's word that will keep those things from happening. To keep our eyes from being adjusted to the dark. Because what often happens, this is why we've got to be careful about drifting away. Because what often happens is we drift so far that it's just like turning on a light in the darkness. When we try and reverse it, all of a sudden that light shines too bright. And we do close our eyes. Because it would now be too hard to change. And we know, we know, I quit doing this, and I quit doing that, and I know I need to do it. I can't believe I've stopped doing all of these things, and here I am, and the Word comes, and it shows us what we need to change, and that looks like so much. So we don't do anything. We just look and say, I'm too far gone. I can't fix that. I always intended to fix that. I intended to start doing those things again, and I just never did. The word of God comes. Listen, you got to get the word of God in there so you don't get to three, four, five because that just makes it all that much harder when the conviction comes and the call to repentance comes from God's word. Talk about crushing you and humbling you. So we've got to be in God's word so we don't even drift in the first place. And look, if you've drifted and you look at God's word and you know what you're supposed to be doing and there is almost a desire to close your eyes because it hurts so much what you see, look, let it hurt and obey because it's only going to hurt more. If you're looking at your marriage and you're saying, my marriage needs to be better. You're looking at your life with your kids and you're saying, it's been, you know, this many years. I can't fix that. Look, get in it and fix it. Do it now. If you're looking at your church life, you're saying, I've been a this. I can't believe I was a that. I haven't done this. And I do. And I look at all these things. What can you do? Listen to God's word. Do what God has told you to do. Obey. And let the word of God keep you from drifting away more. Because you know what that is? If you're feeling that right now, and you're seeing those things, and you know in your head right now the things that you should change, and you've been convicted about even in this sermon and these texts, you know what you've got right now? You're either going to drift away more, or you're going to obey. But you're going to go somewhere today. You've heard it. The word of God has called you to quit drifting away. You're either going to shut your eyes to this too, and just add one more thing to the list, or you're going to start obeying and you'll be all the happier for doing it. But something is going, you are going to respond in some way today. You are either going to pay attention to God's word, pay attention to it more, or you're going to continue to drift.